morning. Today we're going to continue our series on Luke and last week Simon shared with us about the uh, healing of the ten lepers and how Jesus stepped over the divide of what was exclusive and made it inclusive and brought them in by that healing. So we pick up the story today as chapter 17 continues. I'd like to start by sharing just a couple of stories from when I was a curate, as a Queenie vicar, and uh, my very first preach um, was on the story of Jericho. Now Jericho, if you know it, is a great children's story. You go round and round the, uh, the city, blowing the trumpets, and eventually the walls come tumbling down. My problem was that the next part of the story is that the Israelites go into the city and they slaughter everyone. Thanks, Steve, my training incumbent, for that one. And I struggled with this, but I remember distinctly one particular slide that I'd put up. And in there, I suggested that people struggle with this idea of a God of love or a God of judgment. And I remember saying that he's not a God of love or a God of judgment. He is a God of love and a God of judgment. And we're going to unpack that idea today. Now, uh, a few months later, I was preaching in another church, Holy Trinity Red Hill, and the passage I had was 1 John 4, famous, of course, for God is love. And one of the conclusions I came to in preaching that particular sermon, and it stuck with me ever since, is that if God is love, then that means that every act of God is a loving act. From creation to new creation, the law, the prophets, and of course, the final judgment. So we're going to consider that today, this idea of judgment and the love of God and how we can bring the two together. Now, there's a blog um, called Babylon B, quite a reverent blog. Um, and in it, uh, one time it suggested that somebody had uh, criticized Jesus for not being Christ-like enough. All this unloving and problematic teaching about hell and judgment rather than affirming people's sins. Now, the thing about satire is it can be cutting, it's certainly exaggerated, but it's usually based on an ounce of truth. In this case, about the teaching of some in the church today. Now, Jesus certainly taught both about love and about judgment. He also taught that we are called to teach others God's commandments. Matthew 28, go make disciples baptize them and teach them everything I have commanded. But what he doesn't say is to judge, because judgment lies with God. Judge not lest you yourself are judged. So today's passage in Luke 17, uh, before we get into it, I'd like to just go back a few verses to the first five verses of Luke 17, verses 1 to 5. And in there, Jesus sets a context 
for the discussion he has, particularly with the disciples that we'll see today. Things that cause people to sin are bound to come, he says in verse 1, but woe to anyone through whom they come. Sin happens, Jesus is saying. We should highlight it. We should forgive the repentant sinner when they repent, whatever the gravity or the frequency of their sin. But don't, whatever you do, encourage others to sin. It's quite the opposite, because otherwise you yourself will receive the punishment. Jesus is very clear. And then in those verses 11 to 17 that we heard last week, where Jesus heals the ten lepers. And Simon brought us a powerful message. Society had cast them out, and it even became their own assumption that they were in that place. Yet Jesus included and healed them. Too often the church and society has both judged and excluded. An example being the continued pain of exclusion and barriers and oppression felt by black members of the church. We need here to find a space for those stories to be shared and to be heard. And as a first step towards supporting and responding to the experience for our brothers and sisters. Those who have experienced exclusion and oppression. Jesus' message is very clear. All are welcome and valued. It is not our place to judge or to exclude based on who someone is. Their colour, their race, their background, their language, their ability, their gender. If it's based on who they are, then we are not called to exclude. The reading goes on, verse 20 to 21. The Pharisees ask when the kingdom of God is coming. And Jesus replies that it's here, it's come, it's me, it's in your midst. And that's the unique part of this reading to Luke. It then moves on to something we'll find in Matthew. He turns to the disciples. The setting is different than it is in Matthew, but it's the same message. This judgment is coming. Ignore the false prophets. You won't get an advance warning, but you will know. Just look in the skies and you will see. And he gives the examples of the flood we find in Genesis 6, and the destruction of Sodom with sulfur and fire, which we find in Genesis 19. Both examples of destruction and judgment through the fact that the people were wicked. They asked the disciples, because Jesus had been talking about one will be taken and others will be left at the final judgment. They say, where will they be taken? They're interested in the destination. They're interested in the, uh, the reward. 
And Jesus diverts them back to his main point of what he's trying to say. Be saved. Don't be one of the ones who is left. Be saved. He's speaking to his friends, to the disciples. So there is a clear message. The kingdom invitation is inclusive. It is to all. But kingdom entry is not universal. Jesus is saying to the disciples, some will not get in. So how can this judgment be from a loving God? Well, I'd just like to share with you a parable. Now, I like golf, but I've been put off joining golf clubs because they can have a bit of a reputation for being both exclusive and expensive. But just imagine this story. There was a golf club that opened up in the Surrey Hills. And aware of the stigma around the perceived exclusivity of other clubs that had only male members and no foreigners or poor people, the club wanted to be different. It wanted to be inclusive for all. Club fees were set very low. No references were required. One didn't need to be invited or sponsored to join. You just needed to ask to join and you would become a member. All races, genders, abilities were welcome and hundreds and then thousands signed up. All seemed well. Unfortunately, after a while, things started to change. Things started to get damaged. Flag pins were not replaced, meaning that the next group could not see where the hole was on the green. Divots were not replaced, meaning that holes and gouges appeared in the fairway. Inappropriate footwear led to damage to the carefully cultivated greens. Some started to use the course without paying fee, causing problems with the budget for maintenance. Some players started to shout at others for what they saw as slow play. Some took it into their own hands by taking their turn before the group ahead had safely moved on, even leading to some injuries from golf balls struck in haste. This became so bad that on one very hot day, as tempers frayed, a fight broke out between two foursomes and it spilled out across the whole of the back nine only ceasing once someone had to be taken to hospital after being hit by a very large driver. Some grew bored of golf, but saw the opportunity to play football instead that they identified more closely with. They didn't actually impede anyone else in their play, but playing football was not what the club was set up for by the founders. The club founders decided that this chaos could not go on for any longer. They reaffirmed the rules of golf and asserted that the golf course was only for the game of golf it was intended. The club remained inclusive, fees were very low and long-term commitment was encouraged. But now with a proviso, to remain a member, all had to obey the rules that were laid out for the protection and the enjoyment of all. 
past offenders would be readmitted, so long as they both admitted their past errors and pledged not to do them again, and to do their best to abide by the rules of the club as determined by the founders. Anyone who refused to do so lost their access to the golf club. The club remained inclusive. Members were excluded by their own actions and attitudes. Now this is a picture of the kingdom of God. The blog post I referred to earlier may have been an exaggeration, but there is a real problem of making a comfortable God in our own image. God is revealed in scripture, and what we see is a God who loves and is love. A love that is self-originating. He does not love us because we are attractive, that being the reason why I love my wife, but because it's who he is. Salvation is conditional on obedience. I read recently Deuteronomy 7 and Deuteronomy 4. Obedience is reminded to the Israelites as they prepared to enter the promised land. Obey the laws that your God has given you. And God cannot live with evil. He cannot allow the unrepentant sinner into paradise any more than we can allow raw sewage into the Sunday roast. In both cases, it would be both spoiled and ruined. So love and judgment. Well, we find this in a very famous place that you probably are very familiar with the first part, maybe not so much with the second. John 3.16 for God loved the world in this way to send his son that for those who believe in him they will not perish but have eternal life. But it goes on in John 17, 3, 17 and 18. The son was sent to save the world not to condemn it. Very clearly states believe and you're not condemned. Don't believe and you are condemned. Michael Green um, spoke once about four-stage evangelism through the Bible. You can lead somebody through the Bible using an A, B, C, D. Firstly, admit that you are separated from God. Then believe, then consider the cost, the need for repentance, and then do something about it. Give your life to Jesus. But note that the first thing is that you have to admit that you're separated from God. You need to admit the existence of sin, the things that get in the way between our relationship with God and us. God is not an arbitrary judge. Malcolm Green again talks about uh, God sets the exam paper. He gave the answers in scripture and on those tablets. We just need to give the answers or live the life consistent with those preset answers. It's not an arbitrary thing. It's all been laid out for us. And of course, he gives us the tools because he gives us the Holy Spirit to point us in the right direction. 
Ian Paul, writing about the love of God, wrote this. The credible Christian love that expresses God's love cannot be separated from a credible case for repentance and obedience. So back where we started, Matthew 28, go, make disciples, teach them all I have commanded. The kingdom of God is inclusive and God invites every one of us. We are not excluded because of who we are, but we can exclude ourselves. God judges to keep paradise pure and holy. We are not called to judge, but to teach and to walk with others. And to rebuke means to point to God's will. We, as church together, have a choice to make, a truth to find, and we find it in Scripture. What are God's commands? And we seek the guidance and the direction of the Holy Spirit to grow together daily in obedience, all for his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus' teaching. And we thank you for Luke and for Matthew for highlighting his teaching about the end times, about his coming again, about the choice that needs to make. Inspire us by your spirit to seek your way. Forgive us when we go the wrong way. Help us to repent. Give us safe knowledge that when we repent, you will forgive us, that you are merciful. And help us not to judge, but to walk with brothers and sisters, that they may be in Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.